So talk a little bit. I know this year education policy is a major focus uh, of MCPP. So talk a little bit about what, what you all are supportive of and what you've seen so far that you're happy to see get introduced. There are three really exciting bills in particular. One is on, um, and they're, they're all instantly introduced in the name of the chairman of the Education Committee, Rob Robson. They're all his work and, and Jason White's work. Um, the first is something called the Inspire Bill, and this is an attempt to reform a really arcane system of school funding we've got in Mississippi. At the moment, we've got a sort of almost Soviet-type system where we, <laughs> we, we, fund, we fund the system rather than the students. And he's come Amen. up with this really interesting and bold proposal so that we can actually fo- uh, um, fund individual students based, based on their individual need. So it would be a personalized system. So every child would get amount depending on uh, a, a number of weighted uh, factors. Tennessee did it a couple of years ago. It's working really, really well there. Um, it's really exciting to see uh, Rob Robson come up with this proposal here. There's also a bill on um, HB 1449 for Arkansas-type school choice. We see Sarah Huckabee Saunders on the other side of the river has introduced this wonderful new scheme that gives every single child in Arkansas the right to have a personalized account into which the state puts public money um, worth about eight to $9,000 a year, and they can then redeem that, spend that at a school of their choice, public, private, or, or, or whatever. Um, there's a proposal to do that. Um, it, it's the so-called uh, Magnolia um, uh, Scholarship uh, Fund. Um, and there's also another bill, um, HB 1452, which is a, a more limited version of school choice, but I sh- don't think we should overlook that. Plus, there are some other bills that are significant, you know, increasing um, uh, the number of bodies that authorize charter schools. We've got a real roadblock to reform in the uh, inappropriately named Charter Authorizer Board, which has proved to be the Charter Non-Authorizer Board. <laughs> so I, I think there's, there's real movement. It's, it's almost as if we're seeing the kaleidoscope shifting and, and the, the, the sense of what is possible has changed dramatically. And it's really, really exciting. Well, it's great. And you and I were talking about this off the air. The, the Republicans, who should be the conservative party in the state, have super majorities in both Absolutely. chambers. Now's the time not to do you know incremental things where we bite around the edges. We, we need to do something massive. We need to do things and we need to do things that are bold and significant reform. That's right. Um, Look at the states all around us. We're surrounded by four states. All four of those states are now moving towards the personalization of education for each child, school choice. Um, There are things we could do to become part of the sudden success story. We we really mustn't be left behind. Um, Arkansas is doing some incredible things and and i think we could we could do those things here it, it takes a little bit of boldness a bit of courage but it's great to see these bills this, it shows we're, we're beginning to move in the right direction it, let, let's talk about the school choice piece for a second because you you, you hit on something i think is important because we get feedback and if you want to be part of the conversation uh with with mr carswell you can text us at 601-879-4395 on the ceasefire text line but we always get this feedback that you know people say, oh gosh, well now the legislators uh, think that they're experts on education, but this isn't something we're just coming up with out of whole cloth. The, the people around us are already doing it and seeing success yeah. from yeah. these sorts of proposals. Actually, right? I would say it's precisely because we know that politicians aren't the experts <laughs> on education that we should give mum and dad more choice and control. I would hate to allow politicians to choose my weekly groceries. I'd probably end up starving. So why do we allow politicians to run a system of education right. that, that isn't giving us the best outcomes? It's, it's about giving ordinary people control over their lives, not putting politicians in charge. But we, we, we know that the system... Um, of personalized learning works. We can see it in not just Arkansas, we can see it in Arizona, we can see it in half a dozen different states now across America. Uh, The results have been truly remarkable. 
And they've and, and I think what's going on in Arkansas is a good example. I mean, Governor Huckabee has proposed massive changes there. I yeah. mean, she, it's it's not a, a little incremental thing. Yeah. I mean, she's talked about universal school choice, and that's what they've passed, correct? I, I, absolutely. And it's not just that. I mean, she's doing a whole bunch of things that is really making Arkansas a standout success. Um, I recently saw a little clip of hers on social media where she was talking about her achievements in her first year in office. And I mean, she's doing some phenomenal things, so much so that there are now a record number of people leaving California and moving to Arkansas. That's something. It's, it's wonderful. That, it's was, wonderful. that would not have been a place I would have thought as a destination when I was a kid. That, that says something. I, it, is, it is truly remarkable. And we could do that here. if we. I'm not suggesting we should aim to have large numbers of Californians come <laughs> here. Um, but I do, on a serious note, think that if we were to change the education system the way Arkansas has done, the way Alabama is looking to do, the way Tennessee is committed to doing, the way even Louisiana is now committed to doing, if we do that, we will transform the education system for the better in this state. Well, I, I hope we'll see that happen. Um, have you all played a role in putting together that legislation or, or more just providing facts for the legislature to consider as they put it together? I think this is very much Rob Robson and Jason White's uh, thing. I think they're the driving force and the brains behind this. Certainly, we, we, we will help, but I, I, I think this is actually change that is coming from the people whose names are on the bill. On the school funding piece, I mean, that, that's obviously been Mississippi law, I think, since 1997, and I believe it's been funded twice, uh, yeah. maybe in 99 and then again in 2007, both yeah. not coincidentally election years. T- talk a little bit, if you can, about the, the problems with the current MAEP formula and what yeah. a better better form- M- funding structure would, would MAEP be. MAEP stands for Mississippi Adequate Education Funding Policy, and actually it's inappropriately named. It's a deeply inadequate system <laughs> of funding. Why is it inadequate? It's inadequate, first, because it's hideously complex. There are only half a dozen people in Mississippi who truly understand it, and none of us can understand them when they explain it. it, it it's also open to the charge that it's perennially underfunded, simply because by its very bureaucratic nature, it it denominates an amount that ought to be spent. Any politician who fails to then meet that is then accused of underfunding it, despite the fact that under Republicans we've been putting record amounts into education. So it's inadequate in that sense. Um, It's also fundamentally inadequate because it's really bad at putting money into the classroom. You look at the amounts of taxpayer money that have been put into public education through the MAEP, and they're just not getting into the classroom. Teacher pay is, is far lower than I think it should be. And I think this is because we're funding a Soviet-style system rather than funding students. The alternative that Rob Robson's come up with is for individualized amounts for every student. And, and, and it's weighted. So you can, and, and it's right that the legislature has a debate about this. Should you give people um, more for special needs or for living in a, a low-income neighborhood? or because they're particularly gifted, and, and, and if so, how much should that weighting be? And, and that's a conversation I think the legislature needs to have, and it, you know, different politicians will have different views on that. But it, the point is that you end up with a personalized system. You know, back in 1997, we had clunky cell phones. Today, we have smartphones where we can choose the apps on them. The, the system of funding we have in Mississippi right now, is it's an analog system for a digital age, and we need a digital system for today. That's a, that is a great way to put it. And it, it does, it's amazing to me that there, there's really no other area you can think of where the government tells you where you have to go. I mean, you're, yeah. you're free to go to the gas station you want, the grocery store you of want, whatever, any other consumer product, that's your choice. Of course. I mean, think about the absurdity if you could only shop in a grocery store if you lived in a particular zip code. Right. But I, I think it's also worth pointing out, and it's a really important point to get across, there will be some people who quite rightly are concerned that if you give people these freedoms, perhaps you would get people moving into certain districts. And I think you've got to say that actually it it is possible for a 
school district that is full to actually say, I'm sorry, we're full and we can't take people from outside the district. And, and I think that's right and proper. You wouldn't, you wouldn't foist people onto a private school without them being able to say we're full and, and neither should you do that to school boards that are successful. Right. It's really about keeping the home school district from trapping yeah. students when they want to leave. And it's about getting good schools to students, not students to good schools. Well, Douglas uh, Carswell, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy, is here. As some of you may have noticed, uh, I, don't, I don't think that's a Corinth accent that you have, <laughs> Douglas. It's a Flowood accent. Hey, we, we, do, we did have a listener that wants to know what his favorite tea is. And I, I said hot sweet tea in an English uh, tea it, glass. It, it, it's now sweet tea. I, I have become Southern. I drink Sweet tea with everything. <laughs> uh, when you, uh, well, that was one of the questions. What, what was your? How do you take your tea, and what's your go-to tea, or do you even drink tea? I, I now while, drink while we're playing the stereotypes. I now, drink, I, I now drink far more sweet tea than than English breakfast tea. Okay. I, I'm partial to the occasional cup of English breakfast tea, but I, uh, I I have sweet tea with pretty much everything now. Okay. And what about a what about a full English breakfast? Do you, your thoughts on a fry up? No, really. No, I I I prefer waffles with fried chicken. Okay. And and syrup. All right, one, one last His English. inner Belgian coming out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, one, one, last, uh, one last question uh, with regards to English food and drink, and then we'll get back to <laughs> the important work of making Mississippi the best place it can be. Uh, blood sausage, pro or con? I, I'd pass on that. Really? Yeah. I love blood sausage. Well, there are some things about the old country that I think need improving, and that's one of them. <laughs> uh, we were, were talking about all the good work that the Mississippi Center for Public Policy is doing in the education space. And, and one thing that you mentioned that we didn't get a chance to really delve into uh, was uh, charter schools. Yeah. So can you talk a little bit about you know what's been done since 2013 and what, what y'all are focused on or hoping that Char- the legislature does? Charter schools are wonderful. They're really, really important, or they could be, if the authoriser board actually allowed more of them to exist. The charter authoriser board will tell you they've done a great job, but they've, on average, authorised one a year, and they've got an 80% rejection rate. Really? Um, I think you have to ask some pretty tough questions as to why that might be. Now, the argument would probably be is the applicants aren't offering to create A-grade schools. Well, but that shouldn't be the choice. The alternative for many kids is to go to a, a, a good but not excellent charter school will go to what they've got at the moment. So I, I think the priorities of the Charter Authoriser Board have been way off and way out of line. The solution, I don't think, is to try to uh, change the Authoriser Board. I think it's actually to create choice and competition, create alternative bodies, such as universities, that can authorise charter schools. And they do this in other states. If, if you're not good at your job, you should have the opportunity to, to go to someone else. So the Charter Authoriser Board needs competition. And I'm really pleased to see a number of bills proposing to do this in the legislature, and I, I hope some of them succeed. And the, these would be letting other people, uh, just different entities, be able to yeah. authorize other than just the authorizer. Yeah, I, I think the real biggie in this are the universities. If universities get into the business of supporting and nurturing charter schools, that is a game changer. Yeah, well, it's certainly an entity, you, entities you would think would be familiar with yeah. how to educate people. Yeah. yeah. I know, what are some of your other focuses this legislative session? I know we've talked a little bit about y'all's work in the health space. Yeah, I mean, healthcare. Mississippi just doesn't have a good system of healthcare if you measure it by health outcomes. And I think one of the reasons for this is because we've had laws for 30 years that have intentionally been anti-competitive. They've intentionally limited the number of healthcare providers. You have to ask some questions as to whose vested interests that might serve. <laughs> right. But why not get rid of those rules known as the certificate of need laws the con laws appropriately named get rid of the con laws 
and allow people to open new outpatient facilities or new diagnostic facilities without a permit. You know, this isn't the Soviet Union. You shouldn't have to have a permit from a bureaucrat so talk, to provide just for, something. For, for listeners who aren't as familiar with the Certificate of Need law, how does it work currently under Mississippi law, the, the Certificate of Need law? In 19 different areas of healthcare. If a current provider or, or, or someone wants to come along and expand provision, new provision, or even actually invest in a piece of equipment worth more than $1.5 million, which sounds a lot, but actually in healthcare is not a lot. Sure. If you want to do any of those things, you have to go to a group of bureaucrats and ask for their permission. And uh, sitting on that board will be your direct, would be competitors if you were given permission. So unsurprisingly, you don't tend to get a lot of permits given for new entrants into the market. It's an entirely rigged cartel. Uh, we think this needs to change, and we think it's not just fair. We think, actually, if you changed it and allowed choice and competition, you would see lower healthcare costs. You would start to see uh, all sorts of things done, um, lower diagnostic services. Things Suddenly, healthcare would become much more affordable in a way that it just isn't for Be many, many Because people. of that, comp the, the, yeah. the downward price pressure. Yeah. Yeah. How does Mississippi compare to other states with regard to certificate of need laws? There are about 100 million Americans who live in states with no certificate of need laws at all. Okay. And they are almost all better off in terms of health outcomes than, than we are. There are a number of states that do, about 20-something states have some form of certificate of need law. But often they're very, very limited. Mississippi is one of the worst for having it covering so many different areas, 19 different areas of healthcare. I'll give you one absurd example. Politicians will tell you they're worried about mental health services. Well, okay, so why do we have uh, certificate of need restrictions on psychiatric services? We know that the demographics of the state have changed with more baby boomers reaching a certain age where they uh, might need to go into a nursing home or some sort of long-term healthcare. Why, why do we have certificate of need restrictions on the number of uh, long-term health, uh, long-term beds? Um, it's things like that that just, just aren't working for the state. If we can get rid of these intentionally restrictive laws, um, the sky's not gonna fall in, the existing hospitals are not gonna fold as a result, but ordinary Mississippians might actually get better healthcare. I assume that the current health care providers, the people who have certificates of need in the in those 19 areas, are not supportive of this of, reform. Of, of course. R like taxi drivers when Uber comes along. They don't <laughs> want the competition. If you have a permit that says only you can provide diagnostic services or, or uh, home health services or whatever it is, you don't want someone else to come along without a permit and start to provide those services. But, you know, I think we can all understand that if you said Uber couldn't operate in a city because you had to use existing taxis, it, it wouldn't be great for people who need to get around. Right. Um, why, do we, why do we allow the vested interests who have the permits to keep out the competition that would serve all of us? What sort of reaction have you all gotten from, from legislators uh, as, as you all have talked about this? What's been absolutely fascinating, we've been pushing for this for a decade and got absolutely nowhere. But what is absolutely extraordinary is with the new speaker and the new people in charge of the different committees, suddenly it's there are half a dozen different bills out there. And there's a real sense that actually we could address this. I, I think there's also a realization that if you don't do these things, the only thing left on the table is federal dollars through Medicaid expansion. Right. So you, you, you have to, if you don't want to expand Medicaid, you have to get serious about freeing up the health economy. It, that was, and that's a great transition, Douglas. The, the, there's clearly a major push this year to uh, consider some form of Medicaid expansion. I, yeah. I know... Um, the speaker has said he's he's open to it. The the lieutenant governor, I think, has explicitly said he believes that providing insurance to 
low-income uh, working Mississippians would help with our uh, workforce participation problem. Do, do you all have thoughts or a position on expanding Medicaid eligibility? There, there really is a problem in Mississippi where a lot of people in Mississippi aren't getting health coverage, and I don't think we can ignore that. I just don't think that hosing federal dollars is a magic solution. Just look at the experience of states that similar to us, such as Louisiana, um, Arkansas, who have expanded Medicaid. You know, in Mississippi today, roughly one in four people already receive some form of Medicaid benefit. Medicaid has actually expanded quite a lot. And I would suggest that the people on Medicaid have worse health outcomes than those on private insurance. Now, I, for me, the key question in all of this, let's, let's not be ideological about it, let's be pragmatic. If we want to help people who don't get health care, are we going to improve their outcomes by creating an incentive for them to leave some kind of private insurance and migrate towards a federally funded system? Now, people will say, ah, there'll be a 12-month delay. Well, I, I, I'm not sure I, 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 I think those are clear assurances. I think once you create a system of expanded Medicaid, you will inevitably see people migrating onto it who currently are able to fund their own uh, provision. So, you know, I, I'm not opposing this for ideological reasons. I think there are good practical reasons. Those who want to expand Medicaid have to show how it would improve healthcare, and I, I, I'm just not convinced. Incidentally, I, I don't really think that the people in favor of Medicaid expansion have the numbers. Um, they, they talk as if they do, but you know, we, we saw recently Tate Reeve show real leadership in coming out against Medicaid expansion. That means that the people in the two chambers don't just have to win it. They've got to win it by two-thirds. Yeah, they have to, it would have to override a veto. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical that we're going to see Medicaid expansion, but we'll, we'll, we'll see. What, is there a solution? I mean, I think the, the, the counter-argument that I've heard from, from a number of people is, you know, when you're talking about – it's one thing if you're talking about a pure welfare benefit, but if you're talking about somebody who's working at McDonald's but not yeah. – you know, doesn't have insurance coverage, I mean, is there a solution, or is it just government doesn't have a role in solving that problem? Well – Let's not be ideological about this. Let's be pragmatic about it. If the proponents in favor of Medicaid can come up with a model that would help that person working at McDonald's, and, and currently it, it's, it's frankly unacceptable that there are people like that who don't have any coverage at all. If they can show that you can provide some system of coverage for people without it, and it wouldn't become a substitute for people who are currently on private insurance, then, then I think that, that would significantly change things. But I, I think the onus is on them to show... Um, that, that, that it wouldn't have that unintended consequence. And I, I, I don't think they have. And the experience of Louisiana, I think, reinforces the idea that the idea that thro throwing federal dollars through Medicaid is going to improve health outcomes, Louisiana just shows that it isn't the case. Happened. Well, we've got about 10 seconds left, Douglas. Any, any final thoughts before we head out? I love being in Mississippi. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you for being here, and thanks for all the good work, uh, good work that you all do. This has been Douglas Carswell, the president and CEO of the Mississippi Center for Public Policy. This is Lucian Smith in for Paul Gallo here on the Gallo Radio Show on Super Talk.